We're going to continue our uh, series through the Gospel of Luke today. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 9, or if you have the YouVersion Bible app, remember, you can always click the More tab, then Events, and you can find us there, Hillside Missionary Church, under today's date. Hey, Luke chapter 9, we've been going uh, through this chapter for quite a while, and I really, really enjoy being able to do this because we can keep things in context like we've said before. If you remember last week, uh, the disciples were bickering with the scribes. They had this point where Peter, James, and John are with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. The rest of the disciples are bickering with the scribes. They don't know what to do. Jesus, with his uh, three disciples, Peter, James, and John, comes back to meet the rest of the disciples. They find them bickering. And then eventually, Jesus overcomes this argument they have about this demon-possessed son by getting the demon out of the son. And I don't know about you, but if I'm fighting over something, and then Jesus comes and proves my side of things, I think I'm going to feel pretty good. And uh, that's where the disciples are. They're like on top of the mountain here, just emotionally. They are just loving this. They're like, yes, this is awesome. So here's where we pick it up, the story. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 43. We're going to read five different, very, very short stories today. It's only about 20 verses. I call them mini stories, but they're going to teach us something about the kingdom of God. This is what it says. And all were astonished at the majesty of God, but while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they didn't understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. And he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is greatest. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow with us. But Jesus said to him, don't stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people didn't receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said to him, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those who are at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about these uh, five, what I'm calling mini stories. Uh, they're kind of microscopic views into where the disciples are. We're going to talk about this because it really tells us something about the kingdom of God and how we fit in it today. So pray with me if, we will, if you will before we do that. 
Uh, Jesus, again, we just thank you so much for everything you've done for us. And God, we, we really thank you for your word. You're good, you're perfect, your authoritative word over our lives. Jesus, I pray that we would align our lives with your word. We thank you that you didn't just leave us here to make up the rules on our own and argue like the disciples do, but God, you told us. You told us your love letter here in your word, that you love us so much that you're willing to die for us and give us a plan to have true freedom in you. Jesus, we thank you so much for that. Help us to experience that true freedom in your kingdom today. God, if we have any misconceptions of what it means to follow you, God, I pray that you would point that out today. I pray that you would guide us into a deeper relationship with you where we're serving you and glorifying you more every single day. It's in your precious life-saving name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Um, hey, have you ever had someone come along? Maybe you've had a problem. Uh, maybe you've been uh, working at your house. You're working on a project. Uh, maybe you've been writing something. Maybe you were working on the car and you just were just in the midst of something and you couldn't figure it out. And somebody came along and said, hey, why don't you just do that? And it was like an aha moment. And you're like, uh, yeah, duh. Why wouldn't I do that? Right? Like it's frustrating. You're in the midst of a problem. Somebody looks at it for like two seconds and goes, oh, there's your problem. Just, uh, just turn that wrench that way. And you're like, uh, yeah, how did you do that? Um, we're working on uh, getting our sanctuary kind of renovated for this new project that we've got going on to go back in there. I had a friend of mine, uh, he was actually the pastor at my home church, Pastor Joel, and uh, he came into my office. We were talking about some things. I was showing him around the church, some different things. And I, I took him into the sanctuary and just showed him the different things that we were doing. And he looked at this lighting system that we've got going on here. And I have just been frustrated so much with it because I'm trying to keep it on a tight budget. And I'm saying, all right, you know, there's no reason for us to spend a lot of money on it. There's got to be an easy, quick, affordable solution here. I just can't figure it out. I've looked online and I've, I've asked other people and no one's got any suggestions. And so I didn't even ask him because I'm like, there's no way Joel's going to know the answer here. And uh, and he points it out and he goes, hey, what you doing with that light up there? I go, I don't know. I've, I've got all these different things I've been trying. And he goes, well, why don't you just use a certain type of light bulb? It's only like $5 here. It's online. You want me to buy it for you? I mean, it's not that hard. And I go, yeah, you're right. That's not hard at all, right? Like it's just an aha moment, this insight that someone can come alongside you and go, hey, here's the information that you need. There you go. You run with it. It's just like, ah, yes, that's exactly what I need. Sometimes scripture has that for us. And I feel like with these five mini stories that we just talked about, there's some insights to the kingdom of God. There's some insights of what it means to follow Jesus. And before we get talking about the kingdom of God too much, I want to just set a, a, a foundation for us so that we all know what are we talking about when it comes to the kingdom of God? Because uh, kind of our, I think most of our uh, knee-jerk reactions, our thoughts are, well, the kingdom of God is everything, right? Like didn't God create everything then I mean he just spoke everything into existence doesn't he control everything and yes while God did create everything and while God does have power over everything he does offer us our own free will he hands that power over to us individually every single person to say are you going to follow me or are you not going to follow me and so simply put, the kingdom of God is the followers of Jesus, the people who have said, yes, God, thank you for that free will. I will choose to follow you. 
Scripture will use this phrase over and over. Sometimes it uses the kingdom of heaven. You can pretty much use these phrases interchangeably. And so that's what we talk about, or that's what we mean when we talk about the kingdom of God, is those who are following Jesus, those have, who have chosen to say, yes, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I am a sinner. I need your sacrifice. I repent of my sins, and I want to live my life to glorify you. People in the past who have done that, people currently who have done that, and people in the future who will do that. That's the kingdom of God. And so I think it's really important that we take these insights that Scripture gives us in the kingdom of God, because oftentimes, if we have chosen to do that, if we have chosen to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, sometimes we can get off base on some things. Sometimes it's easy for us to wander away from God's Word. And sometimes it's really easy for us to portray that in a way to, pe to people who have not chosen to accept Jesus in a really incorrect way. And so if you haven't chosen to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, maybe that's because the kingdom of God was actually portrayed to you incorrectly by someone who has wandered away from the way that God designed it. It's extremely important that we understand this so that not only we can live our lives correctly in the way that God designed us to, in the way that God designed his kingdom to function, but also so we can portray that to unbelievers as well. So here's what I want to point out. Five mini stories, five lessons, five insights to the kingdom of God. Here's the first one. If, I, if you remember me telling you the context of when this happened, this is the disciples. They are elated. They are super excited. Yes, Jesus, he overcame the scribes. He uh, didn't even have to argue with them. He just said, yep, boom, that demon's out of your son. Done. It's over with. And it proved that Jesus is who he said that he was. And so the disciples are just super, super pumped. And if you remember, the disciples are pretty young. Most scholars would say they're anywhere from age 15 to 30, but they're all much younger than Jesus, more than likely. More than likely, they're actually probably all teenagers. And so as they're uh, super excited, I mean, could you imagine just having a bunch of teenage guys? Like, yeah, Jesus, he showed those losers. Like, yeah, did you see him cast that demon out? Dude, those guys didn't have anything on Jesus. Yeah. And then Jesus comes to him in verse 44 and he goes, hey, dummy, let this sink into your thick head. Let these words sink into your ears. I'm about to be delivered into the hands of men. And it tells us that the disciples didn't even understand what Jesus meant by this. But what Jesus is trying to get across to them is, yes, absolutely, I won the argument. Yes, you were correct. The scribes were wrong. You get it. But here's the deal. It's not always going to seem like this. There's going to be a time where I am going to be delivered up to death. It's not always going to seem to work. Because if you remember, because the disciples don't get this, right? And if you remember when the disciples after Jesus died, I mean, they're bummed out. In fact, Peter, I mean, he denies Jesus over and over and over again. They are really bummed out about this. If they would have taken to heart what Jesus said here, they wouldn't have. They would realize he has a plan. Here's a first insight to the kingdom of God that I think that we get from this passage of scripture. It may not always seem to be working. 
And we talked about this last week, right? That, man, when God calls you to fix your marriage or fix your finances or uh, be better stewards of what He's given you, the resources that He's given you, or maybe to go start a ministry or go volunteer somewhere, it may not always seem like how you thought it would be, right? Like it's not always going to be rainbows and butterflies, but we continue on. Why? Because look what the uh, book of James says. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test of time, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. We continue on just like we talked about last week. Even when we think it's not working, we continue on. Just like Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Because ultimately, we know that God's got a plan. I know we looked at this verse last week, but it's just so good. Romans 8.28, we know that for those who love God, all things work to, uh, together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We remember God's got a purpose in mind. God's got a purpose in mind. In, in Jesus' case here, Jesus knew the plan. Jesus knew the plan that He would have to go and die for all of our sins. And even though in, that, in the midst of that, for those few days where Jesus is in the tomb and the disciples are just wrecked, he goes, hey, this is part of the plan. I know it doesn't seem like it. I know it seems like things are all over, but this is part of the plan. I know it may not seem to be working right now, but you got to trust me. you got to trust me with this. And in the kingdom of God, it may not always seem like it's working. It may seem like Christians have just lost their minds. It may seem like the church is bickering and bickering and bickering over crazy things. And I'm not saying those are good things, but I am saying God's got a plan in the midst of that. Yet the disciples, they just don't get it. They don't get it. So that's the first insight. Here's the second insight in this second kind of mini story. If you remember, the disciples go on and they start arguing, right? So you got all these teenage guys. And I remember as a teenage guy, I'm going to be honest, we were part of ridiculous conversations, right? I mean, you just bicker. No, Nikes are definitely the best kind of shoes, dude. No, Adidas all the way. I'll never go Nike ever, man, right? I mean, just crazy, dumb conversations here. And they're in the midst of one of these. They're in the midst of one of these crazy conversations. And it says that they were arguing among them as to which of them was the greatest, so I could imagine this. This is probably instigated, I'm just going to assume, by Peter, because why not? It, Peter's one of those guys, right? Peter, James, and John, if you remember, just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how they were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And so could you imagine Peter, oh, yeah, you know, Jesus chose me, James, and John, not like you. Yeah. <laughs> not you, Andrew, Matthew. No, definitely not you, Matthew. Uh, you know, and like they have this argument going on. Jesus, and it's so good here in verse 47, it says, Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. Now, something we have to understand about children in that day was that children were considered very lowly. In fact, most uh, scribes and religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers, the Sadducees, they wouldn't even bother with children. They would say, no, 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 I'm not teaching children. They'd get them out of here. Uh, they wouldn't even bother with them. And Jesus says, so he took basically the least of these, right? The least of all people. He takes a child by his side and he says this to him. Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. What is Jesus trying to get to them? That his kingdom works backwards from how we work 
on earth. What Jesus is trying to get to them is that if you want to be great in God's kingdom, that means being lowly here on earth. And if you want to be great in God's kingdom, nothing can be below you. You have to say, hey, you know what? I realize that there are going to be some tasks. There are going to be some things that God could call me to that I don't want to do because I feel like they're below me. But just as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, so the last will be first and the first will be last, I'll consider myself last and nothing will be below me. Whatever God calls me to, I will do it. Remember what James chapter 1 says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world, and that we not get haughty and prideful. Now, if you remember, Proverbs puts it very clearly about haughtiness and pride, uh, being prideful. Look at this. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. We've got to be willing to go wherever God calls us to, even if we feel like it's beneath us. Even if we feel like what we're being asked for is just, oh man, that's just, oh, I, I can't do that. Make someone else do that. Put me up on stage. Get me in front of someone. No, no, no. We've got to be okay serving the least of these, being behind the scenes. We got to be okay with wherever God calls us to. Here's the next mini story. And uh, I feel like these, these next two are my favorite ones out of these five. This one is uh, John. Uh, he's kind of involved with this story. But he goes to Jesus. He says, Master, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow with us. And I imagine John, they say that John was the youngest of the disciples. So let's just call him maybe 14, 15 years old. And uh, I, I imagine John, like he's just got a good heart about him. He, uh, in his gospel, he refers to, to himself as the one whom Jesus loved, right? So I just imagine like he's just got like this friendly attitude about him. He's just this little kid and he goes, oh, hey, Jesus, I did something great for you. Somebody who doesn't follow you was trying to cast out demons in your name. So we try to stop him. Look at Jesus' response in verse 50. It says, But Jesus said to him, Don't stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. What is Jesus trying to get across to John? I think he's trying to get across that there should be a level of unity within the church. There should be a level of Christ-centered unity. That we are all on the same page here. Jesus is saying, hey, if you're not against me, you're for me. Now, I put that Christ-centered unity very intentionally because there are people who are against Jesus. And for those people, we should say, hey, they're not on our team. We're going to try to point you to Jesus, but we're not going to try and pretend that you're on our team here. But I think for the church, most of us struggle with this Christ-centered unity because we pick and choose these different theological issues and we say, no, 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 this is, this is really what's going on here. And so we need to split off from you. That's why there's so many denominations today. And if you look around, there's like, uh, I, th I think they said like 5,000 Protestant denominations or something just crazy. I'm probably way off at that number. It's probably way higher than that. Because if you just drive around, there's so many different denominations and different people split from those people and different people split from those people. Can I tell you, we're part of the missionary church denomination, as I said earlier. Can I tell you how we started? It's, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. I'm not saying that uh, we shouldn't be a denomination or something, but it is crazy how we started. 
In fact, it was my home church. There's been some mergers, and so uh, there's uh, some churches that have started on different sides of the merger. But if you go through uh, the one that was closer to us geographically, it's my home church, Bethel Missionary Church. They broke off of Yellow Creek Mennonite Church because they wanted to sing in four-part harmonies. They, yo, know, it's really, it's laughable. I see some of you laughing. Yeah, it's funny. They wanted to sing in four-part harmonies. They wanted to have Sunday school. They wanted to speak in English instead of Dutch, and they wanted to have camp meetings. That, those four reasons. Now, could you imagine like, oh, you heretics singing in four-part harmony? You go leave somewhere else, right? I mean, we look at that and it's just laughable today. What are we doing today that hundreds of years later, they're going to say, man, that was just laughable. Why did you do that? Why did you split over that? You broke the unity of believers here. Jesus, he has a very high level of unity. In fact, he has a high priestly prayer that's recorded in John before his death. He prays this to God the Father in John chapter 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Think of this, the level of unity that Jesus has for his believers is like the level of unity that he has with the Father. We know that the Trinity is one entity, three persons, one God. And Jesus is saying, I want you to have that same level of unity as believers. And you might say, yeah, but, but you, you don't understand what other churches do. And sure, they might be preaching Jesus, but you don't understand what they think about this one theological issue I want to look at this example. Paul gives us the best example, I think, of this issue in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, he is sitting in prison. He talks about people who are preaching Jesus, but that he disagrees with their motives. Look at this. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. That's put in jail for the defense of the gospel. The former, so these are people who preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. They proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now think about Paul, right? He's in prison, and there are literally people preaching that Paul, the guy that God used to write nearly half of the New Testament, is a dirtbag. And Paul says, I'm glad you're there, even though you're speaking against me. I'm glad you're there, because while you're there, you're preaching Jesus, and in that, I rejoice. Man, the level of unity that Paul had with the Christian church, he's saying, hey, that's how unified I want us to be. He's saying, hey, just because you're there and you're preaching Christ, I don't agree with the way that you're doing it. I think that you're doing it out of envy. I think that you're doing it out of rivalry. But I am still glad that you're there because Jesus is being preached to the people there. There's a church very close to us here in South Bend who was a missionary church and a month ago decided, hey, we no longer want to be a missionary church. And we could get really upset about that. And we could go, man, can you believe that? Can you believe all the things that they're doing? Or we could have the level of unity that Paul gives us the example of. That we are glad that they are there. 
But we are glad, and not only that, we rejoice in the fact that they are there because they are still preaching Jesus. And yeah, we disagree on some theological issues, but ultimately, they're preaching Jesus. They're inviting people to have a relationship with Jesus. And in that, we rejoice. Again, it's Christ-centered unity. If people are outside of that, they're not preaching Jesus, we're not going to be unified with them. But if they are, we're going to say to a certain level, hey, we want to be unified with you. We're on, our, we're on your team. As a leadership team, we've talked about the, some long-term planning with Hillside. And we've talked about our desire that God has led on our hearts that, hey, foster care is kind of that one thing that God has put on our hearts. That there's so many needs in our community, but we just want to do one as well as we can and meet that just as best as we can. And so we've talked about, okay, let's, let's draw that out then. What do we have to do so that decades down the road we can do that better? And one thing that we felt like God was laying on our hearts was to say, hey, what if we came along churches in our community and fostered churches by sending teams out and saying, hey, we have a level of unity with you. We believe in you. We're glad you're there. You're preaching Jesus. And so we want to come alongside you and help you. That's the level of unity that we're talking about. Even a church that might just be half a mile down the road. We don't have a competitive mindset. We say, hey, we want to partner with you because we're glad that God put you there and you're preaching Jesus. Let us help you the best way that we possibly can. Why? Because we get examples like uh, Paul in Philippians chapter 1, who said that in that I rejoice, I rejoice that you are there. We need to have a level of Christ-centered unity if we're going to be a part of the kingdom. Sorry, I know I spent a lot of time on that point, but I think it's just really, really important. Let's move on to the uh, fourth mini story, though. This is my favorite one. This one's so awesome. Uh, it says, when, they drew, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he sent his face to go to Jerusalem. Okay, so this is a turning point in the entire book of Luke. In this, he is all, he's going around, he's doing his ministry, and then he turns to Jerusalem. From here on out, he is on his way to Jerusalem to sacrifice himself on the cross on, for our behalf. It says that he does this, and he sent out messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was sent toward Jerusalem. The Samaritans were half Jewish people. They did not like the Jewish people. And so when they heard that Jesus, a Jewish teacher, was coming to, through their town to go to Jerusalem, they didn't like this at all. They said, no, we're not doing that. Now the disciples, they're not happy that they wouldn't do this for them. And so look at what happens. It says, when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> look at Jesus' response. It just says, Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. So we're just left to say, okay, that's a ridiculous uh, question that James and John have here, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. But can you imagine two teenagers talking to Jesus? Yo, those guys, didn't, they didn't want to house us and give us a room. You want us to just like pray that God the Father would rain fire down from heaven and just burn the city alive, right? I mean, Jesus just goes, come on, what are you thinking? Are, you have rocks for brains? What, what is going on with you here? That's not okay. We don't rain fire down from heaven and burn people, right? That's not what we do. But let's be honest. Our temptation is to look at other people's bad decisions, to look at other people's sins and go, oh man, man, I wish that God would just 
You know, like that's ours is to condemn, right? Here's what I want you to write down. It's not our job to condemn. It's not our job to condemn. Here's one other thing I want to point out to you in the midst of this, because this is just so good. And scripture is just really funny if you really uh, take it in context here. And um, we only get this from one gospel. Mark is the only one who includes this. Now remember, it was James and John, the one who asked for fire to come down. Look at this. Uh, It says, Mark chapter 3, verse 17. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he, that's Jesus, to whom he gave the name Boagnogris, that is, sons of thunder. So Jesus, when he turns to them and rebukes them, basically says, all right, we done here, sons of thunder, let's go, right? I mean, that's just funny. Jesus is really funny here. I think that he gave him the name sons of thunder because of this request. You want me to rain down fire from heaven? Okay, sons of thunder, let's get out of here. We're going, let's go, guys. I mean, it's just funny stuff. But it's the attitude that they're looking at. And Jesus is going, hey, it's not your job to condemn here. It's not your job to look at other people and go, man, they really screwed up. Let's rain fire from heaven here to consume them all and burn their city up. And Jesus is going, hey, you're way off base here. You got a mission. You got a plan. And you are not supposed to be focused on this. I want you focused on inviting others into a relationship with me. And sure, there's going to be some correction along the way with people. Absolutely. Remember, we get off base. There needs to be correction. In fact, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that part of the function of God's word is so that we can correct people. But we do so in a way that points people towards Jesus, not in a condemning way that points people away from Jesus. In fact, if you think about the woman who was caught in adulteress um, or caught in adultery, and they were about to just throw rocks at her and stone her to death, Jesus steps in and he says this to her: "Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you?" She says, "No one, Lord." Jesus said, "Look at this: Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more." Jesus corrects her sin, but he doesn't condemn her in the midst of it. Condemning people points people away from Jesus. Jesus says, hey, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to point you into a deeper relationship with me. And as Christians who function in the kingdom of God, it should be our job as well, not to point fingers and condemn, but to correct gently and say, hey, let's follow Jesus together. Let's do this unified together. I want to point out one more quick story. I know we're starting to run out of time here. One more. This is the fifth mini story that we get here. It says they're going along and somebody said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holds, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to really know if you're going to follow me, this is what it means to follow me. Like I don't even have a house. I don't even have a bed. I'm just walking around. I'm a nomad. You really want to follow me? This is what it means to follow me. Another one, this is the second person. There's three people total. Another person says, or I'm sorry, Jesus says to this person, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, does Jesus have something against burying people? No, of course not. But what he's saying is, is if Jesus calls you to follow him, 
You're not supposed to say, okay, well, I got some things I need to finish up here uh, and then I'll follow you. No, when we uh, are called by Jesus to follow him, we need to do it right away. Verse uh, 61 says, yet another, this is the third and last person said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those who are at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, what is Jesus saying here? Well, um, when people farmed back then, they would have an animal and they'd have their plow and they would walk. But the animal just goes wherever you direct the animal to go, right? Where, wherever the donkey or the ox or whatever you've got to, to help you to plow, that's just going to go wherever you go. If you're looking back, where are you going to go? All sorts of sideways, right? It's like when you're mowing the lawn, what do you got to do? You got to look straight forward because you need the nice fancy lines, right guys? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I like the nice lines in my yard, but you got to look straight ahead. If you're looking over here, what's going to happen to your yard lines? You're going to be going crazy. People are going to be like, dude, that guy has no idea what he's doing here, right? You got to look straight ahead. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you got to follow me and do what I asked you to do and not be looking back at your life and going, hey, man, what if I was involved in this sin? What if I didn't give up that? What if what, what would my life look like? I wish I kind of would have done that. Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not what it means. To follow me, to be a part of my kingdom, means you have to follow me wholeheartedly. Jesus says it's not a 50% following. It's not even a 90%. In order to follow me, you got to give 100%. Grace read this verse to us earlier, Psalm 119, 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the way of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him, look at this, with their whole heart. Let me ask you a question. As we talked about these insights to the kingdom of God, did God bring to mind anything that maybe you're a little bit off base on? Maybe he's saying, hey, you've been here 95% of the time. You've given me 95% of the things that I've asked you. But there's that 5% that you just won't hand over. Maybe he's saying, hey, you've spent a little bit too much time dividing and condemning people. And I want you to be unified with my people just as I am unified with God the Father. Maybe he's saying to you, man, there's some things I've called you to and you just think that they are totally below you. And I want you to know, if you're going to be a part of my kingdom, it means doing whatever I've called you to do. Maybe you've been discouraged. Maybe God has called you to do something and you are faithful and you just think that it's not working. And you need to just know God's got this. God's got this. And you just be faithful with whatever he's called you to do. What is it that you need to do in order to glorify God, to be a part of his kingdom a little bit better, to deepen your relationship with him. Or maybe you're standing here today and you're saying, man, I don't know why I'm even here, but I showed up and I feel like I have only been given an incorrect picture of what it means to follow Jesus. I have been around Christians who are full of condemning people and are full of just bickering and divisiveness and don't follow Jesus with whatever they've got and they go, well, this isn't working so I'm going to go do something else and they don't stick with anything and they don't uh, serve the least of these. If that's you, if you've been given an incorrect picture of what it means to follow Jesus, I want to just say from the bottom of my heart, I'm sorry. Christians, we're not perfect. 
But we're going to do our best here at Hillside to follow Jesus with whatever he's called us to do. And we're going to do this the best way we can. Not 50%, not 90%, not 95%, but all the way in. Not dividing, and but looking at other Christians and saying, hey, you know what? You're on our team. And we may disagree with some things, but we're going to follow Jesus together the best way we can. So if there's any way we can help you, we want to do it. We want to follow Jesus together, and we want to show the world who He is, that He is the light of the world, the Savior of the world, and it's only through Him that people are saved. And so we're going to do our absolute best to say, you know what? Here's Jesus' world. Here's who He is. Here's the picture of what He's given us. We know we're not perfect. That's why we need a Savior, and we're going to do our absolute best to follow His Word with everything that we've got. And it may not always seem to be working, It may seem like we're really, really downtrodden, but we're going to continue on because we know God's got a plan. And we know he's got a plan for those who love him that works out for the good for those who are called according to his purposes. Church, we're those people. We're called according to God's purpose. We love Jesus and he's got our good in mind. So let's glorify him with whatever we've got. Let's do our best to serve him with everything that we've got. And let's show the world a true picture of what it means to follow Jesus. Pray with me if you will. Jesus, we thank you so much for everything you've done for us. And God, as we've talked about what it means to be a part of your kingdom, God, I pray that we would be those people who truly give people a good look about what it looks like to follow you an accurate look into your kingdom. God, I pray that we would be unified, just as unified as you are with God the Father, Jesus, that we would be unified with all of our other brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter how much we disagree over issues or the way that we go about things. God, that we would be unified under you, that you are the only way of salvation. Jesus, as you said in John 14, 6, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father except through you. I pray that we would portray that the best way that we possibly can, and that we would partner with every single person who believes that the best way that we possibly can, that we wouldn't be divided, that there would be no division among the church, but that we would just wholeheartedly follow you. Jesus, we thank you for giving it all. I pray that we would give our all to you. And if there's anybody here, maybe has been given an incorrect picture of who you are and what it means to follow you, God. I pray that today would be their day that they choose to follow you. July 4th, 2021 would be the day that they can look back on and say, that's the day my life changed forever. That's the day I started following Jesus with everything that I've got. Jesus, I pray that we would be a church that shows that to people. I pray that we would be individuals and moms and dads and community members and employees and neighbors that would truly show people who you are. Help us to do that. Help us to do that well. Help us to be the light in a dark world. Jesus, we love you. Thanks for giving it all. It's in your name we pray. Amen.